We're going to close out this series that we've been in all summer. We started it when school let out, and we're going to finish it as school starts back. Uh, 14 weeks of messages out of the book of Acts, and uh, it's been a great summer. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, if you have children back there in children's church, uh, when you go to pick them up following service, you'll need to have the receipt <laughs> that they printed off for you so they can match that up with your child. We want to make sure you take home your child and, and not someone else's. Um, appreciate your patience in the check-in process. We, we're doing that for the security of our children. We feel like it's important. And so uh, thank you so much for... Uh, uh, doing all that and going through that process. I think some people weren't aware that we have keychain tags that are available. And so you can walk in, you can come in on Sunday mornings once that keychain tag's been set up for you. If you didn't get one, stop back there today and say, hey, how do I get one of those? Because all you basically do is walk in with that tag and scan it and you're checked in and print your labels for you. So it's, uh, it's going to be pretty simple once we work through all the kinks. Uh, but this Wednesday, we are are starting back our normal uh, routine, normal schedule. Uh, Wednesday night, 6.30, uh, Bible studies will begin. They've got something special for the kids this week, kind of a back-to-school uh, thing Wednesday night. But 6.30 is when that resu resumes. Uh, man, over the summer, we've been uh, hands and feet in the heat all summer. Uh, we underestimated the response we would have to that each and every week. Uh, we underestimated uh, how many people would show up to, for the various uh, projects and things that we did. Uh, what a blessing. Great summer uh, doing that on Wednesday nights. Uh, we've been experiencing on Sunday mornings. We've been learning more about what it means to be a part of the movement, uh, to be the church in this community and in this world. Uh, and we began this series this summer by just digging into the simple fact is this, and I'll put it up on the screen today, the church is not a place, it's a movement. It's not a place. I hope throughout this summer that we've said it enough and we've talked about it enough that you can, you know, break this, this paradigm that we have that the church is a building, a church is an, an event. Because it's not, it's a movement. Sadly, over the years, you know, that's been lost, uh, I believe, because the church for so many people has become a place where we attend or event that we go to when we don't have a better offer on the weekend, when we don't have something better to do on Wednesday nights, you know. But the original church was a movement that was gathered around a mission. And we saw Jesus identified the mission and what it should be before he, he ascended to heaven to be with his father after his resurrection. He said, here is your task. Here is your assignment. Go and be my witnesses. Go and tell people what you know about me and that salvation only comes through me. And so uh, this movement gathered around that assignment, around that mission, which means this, uh, a church that is not on a mission is really not a church. A church that's not on mission is nothing more than a social club. All right? A, a believer, you know, and, and we've talked about the fact. We've seen people along the journey this summer here in the book of Acts that believed in Jesus. They believed that there really was a Jesus, but they weren't a part of the movement. They weren't followers of Jesus. They believed the story, but they weren't truly Part of, a part of the movement. And so believers who are not on a mission are not really a part of the movement. 
And so we've been seeing the two primary things that propelled this movement as well. Number one, they were captured by the message of Jesus. They were so captivated by this one who had come that fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament, every single one. And he came and he fulfilled these prophecies. And then, you know, he was, he was beaten. He was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a tomb dead. And then he rose on the third day, just like the prophets said he would. And they were so captured by the fact that the Messiah had come that they were willing to do whatever it took to, to carry this movement on forward, to carry this message to the world like Jesus had told to them. They were so captured by the message of Jesus and that our salvation and our hope is only in him that they were willing to walk away from everything else in order to serve him, in order to get this message out. See, they were captured uh, by the message of Jesus. And then number two, they yielded their lives to the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus knew when he left, there was no way that we could accomplish what he had asked us to accomplish. He said, go be my witnesses into all the world, right? He knew we couldn't do that. He knew we didn't have the money to do that, the power to do that, the resources to do that 2,000 years ago. And so he sent some help. He said, I'll send you a helper that will help you do what I've asked you to do. And so all throughout this series, we've seen how the Holy Spirit has empowered people to do things that they normally could not do. See, that's what happens when you're following the Holy Spirit and you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. God does things in and through you that people step back and say, hey, I know that person and they could have never done that on their own. Only God. Huh. Only God. And so that's how this movement began. They were so captivated by this message that only Jesus could save our lost souls. They, they were so empowered by the Holy Spirit that, that this movement began to spread. And we saw how fast it grew and how it spread all throughout the land. And so the question has been for us all summer that we've been weighing and we've been asking ourselves over and over again, have we been captured by that message? Has the message of Jesus and what Jesus did on a cross in the death, burial, and resurrection, has that changed our lives at all? Has that changed who we are? Has that shaped who we are as individuals? Has that changed how our families look and how our families live and what is priorities in our family? Are we captured by that message ourselves? And then not only, you know, not only do we believe it, because, yeah, we all believe it. I mean, we all believe the story of Jesus. Everybody would, would say, uh, you know, there is proof that Jesus existed and he lived in this world. And some believe that he was just a great teacher or a great prophet. So it's not about just believing it, not do you believe it, but have you been captured by it? Have you allowed it to consume you? Have you allowed it to get you to a point to say, I'll give anything that it takes to get this message to others. I'll be willing to go wherever, wherever he wants me to go, I'll go. Have you been so captured by the message that you'd be willing to do that? And, and then the second question, are you yielded to the Spirit? Do you know what it means to walk with him daily? Do you know what that looks like, what that feels like to be filled by him, to, to move in his power, to, to see things happen in your life and, you, and your family, and you know that, and you step back and say, that was only God. It was obvious and evident that was only God. There have been so many times that Lynette and I have gone through life and different situations and things come up and we pray and, and I could stand here for a week and tell you stories about things that God has done and we just step back and laugh and say, that was God. Can you say that in your family? 
Can you say that in your life? Because my prayer and my hope has been that over the summer, I know we've all been in and out and vacationing, running here and there and, and, and all of that. But my prayer and my hope has been every single Sunday that whoever was here on that given Sunday, my prayer and my hope has been that we would become more of a spirit-filled church. As, as God took us on this journey through the book of Acts this summer, that we would become a spirit-filled church because we must be. We must be. It's not an option. It's not even optional. We must be a spirit-filled church. And so today we're going to close out this series in, in chapter 16. I'm not really ready to close it out, but I feel like we need to close it out. 14, 14 sermons is probably enough. Uh, but this morning, I, I just want to summarize. I'm not going to read all of chapter 16, but it's great. I encourage you to read it when you get home. Um, but I just want to summarize, kind of get us up to where we're at. Uh, in the first few verses here, we continue to see that the church is, is getting stronger. It's continued to grow. The movement is moving. It's growing in believers and, and people that are, are dedicated to it. Then on down in verse 16, uh, we see that, that Paul and Silas are, are, are headed to a prayer meeting. And uh, on the way, they meet up with this girl. They meet up with this slave girl who is, it says, to be possessed by a demon. All right? So, so here's the picture, okay? Uh, Paul and Silas are on their way to prayer meeting, and the devil meets them along the way. All right? Some of you experienced that trying to get here this morning. <laughs> all right? I mean, we all have, especially if you have kids. There are those times, you know, uh, that the devil just tries to stop us from coming and being with our, uh, our fellow believers that will encourage us and build us up. Sometimes the most frustrating time of the week is Sunday morning, you know. Uh, not so much for us anymore, but when we had kids, boy, it's such a challenge to get everybody up and everybody moving and going in the same direction on, on Sunday mornings. And there's a good reason for that. The devil knows, right? Satan knows that, he, you know, he don't want you here. Uh, he knows it's important to you and to your family. And so anyway, they, they're, they're traveling down the road, headed to prayer meeting. They meet up with this demon-possessed demon lady who was a fortune teller. She starts following Paul and Silas, and she's screaming, you know, these men are preachers of God who will, you know, tell you how to get saved. And that, that all sounds cool, you know. Yeah, she's telling other people, but, that, you know, th this lady is demon-possessed, all right? She's a lunatic. She's, she's out of her head. And, and, we, you know, we would think, well, it's a little odd here that she probably would be following and screaming this about them. But what is e even odder, she doesn't just do this for a little while. She does this for days. All right? So she's following them everywhere they go for days, screaming and proclaiming and, and doing all this thing. And we see here in Scripture that it's wearing on Paul's last nerve. And can I tell you, even the, the apostle Paul gets his feel of loudmouth people sometimes. Okay? So it's okay. It's okay. You're not any less unsanctified to get tired of people mouthing and complaining and, and all that. It's okay. Paul did it. But again, we see the power of the name of Jesus. We did a series back in the spring that talked about the power in the name of Jesus Christ. And we see that here as Paul turns around to her and he says, In the name of Jesus, demon, get out of this girl. And at that moment, uh, through the power of, uh, of Jesus' name here, this demon-possessed lady was freed of that. 
uh, she was given her mind back, and, and, and that's an amazing story. It's an incredible to see. We've seen it all throughout the book of Acts, just cool things and incredible things that have taken place. And you would think that when this lady was, you know, freed of this demon and this craziness that existed in her life and her mind, you would think that everybody would be excited about that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, you would think everybody would be happy for her, and that would be a great thing, but they're not. All right, because again, she was a slave girl, and her owners were using her as a fortune teller to make them money. All right, and, and so to, to make a long story shorter, you know, they weren't happy about this, and so they basically took Paul and Silas in and said, Hey, you know, you're creating havoc in the city, you're cr causing a lot of problems, you're being troublemakers. They basically took them in, charged them for, for doing, you know, all these things, and they stripped them and they beat them. Okay, and, and they beat them and they were placed into custody of the person that I want us to focus on today here in the book of Acts. Each week we've seen someone different, someone, you know, unique in the story. And so there's someone that I want to focus on today that they're put in the custody of. And so I want to pick it up at verse 23, and I'm going to read you the whole story, and then we're going to go back and, and pull some things out that I believe are important to us today. But let's pick it up at verse 23. About midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all still here. So the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what is it that I must do to be saved? Then uh, 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 they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole family, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family, he and his whole household. So here's who I want us to focus on today. And the Bible doesn't even bother to give us his name. He's an unnamed jailer in this story who has no idea what God is up to and how his night and his life is about to change. Matter of fact, not just his life, but his entire family's lives are about to change forever. Think about it. He is the man, this unnamed jailer. He is the man with the keys to Paul and Silas's freedom. Is he not? The jailer has the keys to Paul and Silas's freedom, or so everyone thinks up to this point. Right? He takes custody of these two beaten and, and, and bruised missionaries, and he puts them into jail for safekeeping to hold them there until their trial. And no, we don't know his name, but there are some things that we do know about him, I believe based off what we've read here uh, in the text and in the Scripture. He's obviously a trusted and well-respected man if he's been given the keys to the jail, right? 
and been put in charge of jailers because you don't just hand the keys of the jail to anybody, do you? I mean, you're careful about who you give the keys of the jail to. So he's a man who has obviously proven in the past that he was reliable. He knew how to handle great responsibility. All right. He doesn't just put them in a jail cell either. We see here that he puts them in the inner cell. All right, so that would mean, you know, he wanted to put them in a place where it would be the most difficult to escape because there's been a lot of controversy going on around the movement, right? And so he puts them on the inner cell just to make sure they don't escape and, and get out. Uh, he's probably, uh, and not only that, but he locks their feet in stocks. It talked about chains being around uh, their feet as well. He's probably a man who's seen a lot of things you and I have never seen, Right? Being a jailer, being a, a prisoner guard there, he's escorted all kinds of different kinds of criminals into the jail and into the prison. prison. He's, he's seen vicious murderers. He's seen all kinds of lunatics. And, and I'm going to say that there's probably not much that phases him. There's probably not much that shocks him because of all that he's experienced there uh, in the jail. He doesn't really pay attention to why they go to jail. He don't really care. That's not his his place or his responsibility. He don't care why they go to jail. He's a, his focus is on doing his job and taking them to the dungeon and making sure they stay locked up. That's his responsibility. That's his job expectations that he gets rated on in his peer reviews every year. All right? And, and so we see here in, in verse 27, not only is he a jailer, but he's, he's an armed jailer. He's an armed guard. He carries a sword. Right, to handle anyone that might try to get out of line or anyone that might try to escape. So I'm guessing at this point, he probably doesn't really have any personal feelings toward Paul and Silas whatsoever. They're just another set of prisoners that have come in. My responsibility, keep them locked up. Right? So he probably doesn't have any personal feelings about Paul and Silas yet. And we also learn something else about this jailer. In verse 32, we see that the jailer was a family man. He had a family. Uh, he was a husband, a father. He doesn't spend all of his time. He doesn't spend 24 hours a day at the jail locking people up and guarding prisoners. He's got a home. He's got a home life, right? Where probably when, his go, when he goes home, and he probably walks in the door and his wife calls him sweetheart. His kids call him daddy. And he's the breadwinner of the family. He's the man that's responsible for making sure everyone's fed and has all the school supplies that they need this week. Right? He's just an ordinary man with an ordinary job as a jailer. And as I read this, I thought, you know what? He's a lot like a lot of people that might be here this morning. He, he's, a, he's a lot like many of us, just doing the best we can to get by. Just doing the best that we can to have a good life and to provide for our family, meet the needs of, of our families. But there's one thing that I want to point out about this man this morning. Even though he's a prison guard... He's actually a prisoner himself. He just don't know it, and he don't realize it yet, right? His prison, his prison, his prison walls, his jail cell is maximum security. I don't want you to think about it. He has the maximum security of the world's view of success. That's where his security falls. That's what his security is in. It's in what the world views and says is success. He's got a job. He's got a good job. It's a position of power. It's a position of authority. He's got a family. 
You know, it appears like things are going pretty good for the jailer. Uh, you know, but in all reality, it all, all of it that he has, all of it that he is so secure in at the moment hangs by a single thread and he's one earthquake away from losing it all. Don't miss this because this is where some of you are today, okay? This jailer's security in life and the things of this world is just an illusion. It's just an illusion. And this earthquake and his response to the earthquake proves that it's an illusion, Okay, and I believe a lot of people in, the, in this world can identify with our jailer here. Just living an ordinary life, trying to get as secure as we can possibly get. Preparing ourselves for retirement, you know. Some are, some are trying to get security in their, their lives through knowledge. You know, trying to get as educated as they possibly can get because there's some sort of security in that. You know, or, or others are looking for security and just working hard and, and making and saving money and, and, and being a wise investor. Maybe you find your security in the friendships that you have. Maybe you're here today and you find security in the fact that your family is all together. And you find security in the fact that you have a family and you have a, a good home life. Maybe your security is in your own strength. Maybe your security is in your good health today. And don't get me wrong, this morning, I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. There's nothing wrong with having security in our life. But the bottom line is this. You will never find real security in your life without a devoted relationship with God. It cannot happen. It will not happen. You cannot have security in your life without a relationship with God. Right? And, and that's what's missing from this jailer's life. This is what is missing in his entire family. He's living in his own bondage of a world without God. And here's the deal. Most people that are living this life, they never realize it. They, 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 don't, they don't realize that they're living in this bondage until something or somebody shakes them and wakes them up. All right? They don't know it until the earthquake takes place. And, and this jailer's wake-up call literally comes with an earthquake-shaking experience, does it not? And, and verse 27 tells us he's so comfortable, he's so secure in, he, in his life, in his job, and everything that's going on around him. Verse 27 says he is asleep. That's how secure he is. That's how much confidence he's got in how good he is. He's asleep. Look at, look at uh, uh, verse 27 again. The jailer woke up sleeping on a job, and he'd been playing solitaire up to that point because he had this. He'd been locking up prisoners for years. You know, this is no big deal. But when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, I'm thinking that's a little extreme, right? He, he's awakened by this earthquake that shakes the jail, and don't miss this, and the jailer down to its foundations. And, and so, what's his first reaction? Well, his first reaction we see here is to grab his sword. Why grab his sword? Because that's where his security has always been. Right, it's always been in the sword. When in danger, grab the sword. And that was his first reaction was to grab the sword, but it's no longer his security, right? And I believe he probably realizes it while it's coming out of the sheath. 
This is my natural reaction. This is my security. But wait a minute. There's no security in this right now. There's nothing in this. And in Roman law, a jailer who allows his, his prisoners to escape would be punished severely. He, he not only lost his job, but he would often lose his head. Right? There were no acceptable excuses. If your prisoners escaped, more than likely you were going to receive whatever punishment that they would have received because you allowed them to escape. This jailer's worst nightmare is coming true in an instant. In an instant. Right? The doors of the jail have literally been shaken off their hinges, and he makes the assumption that the prisoners were gone and that they've escaped. And in an instant, what has happened here? His security is gone. Remember I said earlier, most of the things that we find our security in is just the illusion. He's just experienced that. It was all just an illusion. And some of you can probably relate to this guy because some of you have been through the earthquake. Right? The, the jailer is so shaken that he takes this sword out that was meant for prisoners and he turns it on himself to take his own life. And, and I just want to stop there for a second and, and, and I want us to notice how quickly his illusion of security was shattered in this moment. One second, everything is going just fine. It's hunky-dory, right? He's asleep in his false sense of security and in an instant... He is so shaken that he is ready to take his own life. And all it takes, folks, is getting shook up pretty good. All it takes is, is a pretty good shaking in our life, and he finds himself helpless, and he finds himself hopeless in the situation. And there are a lot of people in this world today who find themselves in that exact situation many, many times. And if you don't believe me, you just take a visit down to Children's Hospital sometime and sit around and watch. And you will see a lot of people who feel helpless and who feel hopeless. And you never know when it's coming. You never know when the earthquake. The earthquake never calls in advance and says, I'm about to rumble. We never know. In an instant. You know, the, the, the job that you depend on disappears. Who would ever thought they'd shut that down? Who ever thought that they would be bought out? And in an instant, it's gone. The money that you were saving is lost. In an instant, the doctor says, it's cancer. Or there's an accident that robs you uh, of the security of your health. Or, or, or some other kind of illness. Maybe somebody that you love, somebody that you depended on disappoints you. Or, or now they're just suddenly gone and not in the picture anymore. And in an instant, your world is turned upside down. And nothing makes sense when it's all upside down. Nothing makes sense when the doors are coming off the hinges. Nothing makes sense when it's all crumbling down around you and your security crumbles like the walls of this jailhouse that we're talking about this morning. So what do you do? What do you do? I believe there's a great warning in this story this morning for every single one of us, and I hope someone here today that's needing to hear it is hearing the warning. But what do we do when we find ourselves with everything crumbling down around us? What, what do we do? Well, I think there are some things that we can learn from this story today. First of all, when, when everything seems to be crashing down and falling apart, we must look for what God is wanting to teach us and what God is wanting to do in our lives when that's happening. When it begins to fall apart, look for God. When things begin to crumble, look for God because he is about to do his work, right? 
And, and the key to it is this. We need something more stable than the things of this world to build our life on. So many people are building their life on everything else in the world other than the right foundation, and that's God. So we need to build our, our houses on the right foundation. We need to build our marriages on the right foundation. We need to build our, our families on the right foundation because if you don't, it will all come crumbling down. Now, I'm sure this jailer thought that he was standing on solid ground. I'm sure he felt pretty confident, but now it's not looking so solid, is it? <laughs> it's more like quicksand. And sometimes this is why God allows earthquakes in our lives not to destroy us but maybe to shake us up and wake us up out of our sleep <laughs> sometimes we just need to be woke up and sometimes for some of us it takes an earthquake you know and sometimes this is why God uh, allows those earthquakes to take place to teach us that as good as some of the things are that we find our security in today none of them are strong enough to stand when an earthquake comes and when things begin to crumble and so here's the deal. It's better to realize that and find the right security now than when it starts to all crumble down, believe me. All right? And, and, and so this jailer, he, he hadn't done that, and he was about to make a terrible mistake with his sword, right? Until Paul, verse 28, yells out, Wait a minute, dude. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't kill yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're still here. We didn't go anywhere. And when the jailer hears Paul and realizes that things, you know, may not be now as bad as he thought they were, the prisoners hadn't actually escaped and run off, he comes to another conclusion at that point. And think about what he must be thinking right now. These prisoners are odd. <laughs> huh? These prisoners are not like any other prisoners I've had in here before. All right? These prisoners know something that I don't know. They could, have, they could have escaped. They could have let me kill myself. I was about to take my own life, but they didn't. Why did they do that? Why do they act the way they act? Why do they do what they do? Could it be he's thinking back now to verse number 25, where at midnight they're singing <laughs> in jail? They're singing. They're praying. Paul and Silas singing songs, and they're praying instead of acting like most of the, the inmates do when they bring them in and they're griping and whining about their, their beat-up bodies and how they've not been treated fairly and they're, you know, being abusive and all to the jailers. I'm sure that he noticed that Paul and Silas were very different. They were very different kind of prisoners from the kind that he had been locking up before. They didn't come into prison cursing. They didn't come into prison fighting the guards. They seemed to appear to be free even though their bodies were locked up. And, and now this earthquake comes and Paul and Silas, they don't seem to even be phased that they've gone through this earthquake. And he's thinking, what do these guys have that I don't have? Right now look at verse 29. The jailer called for light. Somebody get some light on in here. I got to see what's going on. And he rushed and he fell. This jailer who had seen it all, who had probably experienced everything that you could possibly experience in a prison is now trembling and he falls at the feet of Paul and Silas. Right? He gets some lights on. He sees his greatest fear didn't have to ha happen after all. He sees these men's faces and in those faces he sees freedom. 
He sees the security that he desperately wants and he needs in his own life and in his family. Right? And this trembling jailer falls down before his two prisoners and he begs them to share the secret. He brought them out and asked in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to have what you have? What must I do to be saved? Please tell me, what must I do to have that kind of freedom, that kind of peace, the kind of joy that you have in your lives? And again, some of us have been there, right? And your world has been shaken up by an earthquake of loss or sickness or maybe death. And everything that you thought that you could depend on and everything that you thought that you could count on was gone. And in verse 31, Paul and Silas, they offer this scared jailer who was actually the prisoner in this story. Do you see it now? He was actually the one who was the prisoner. They, they offer him the keys to his freedom, right? Verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not just you, but your whole family, your entire household. They don't say, oh, jailer, buddy, you know what you need to do? Their message wasn't. The message that Jesus had given them the, the, the thing that they didn't say to this jailer was, buddy, you know what? You, just, you need to try a little harder. You, you just need to try harder. You just need to take every day a step at a time and do the best that you can with what you got. That wasn't their message, was it? Their message wasn't, hey, jailer, buddy, you know, just keep your chin up. Just keep your chin up and, and, and do better and things will get better and things will be okay. You, you notice what else they didn't do here? They didn't even invite the guy to church. In, in, in the greatest situation ever created for a human being to testify to somebody and invite them to church, they did not even invite this guy to church, right? No, what do they do? They take the opportunity to share the message that Jesus told them to share, right? They take the opportunity in that moment to introduce him to this man they call Jesus, who is their Lord and Savior of their lives. They point him to the only solid rock that he will ever stand on, the only solid foundation that he will ever build on, this security that can, can only be found through Jesus in a world that is crumbling down all around us. And if you don't believe our world is crumbling and falling apart, go home and turn the news on when you get home today because it's a mess. And folks, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to get any better. Scripture says it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better, right? And, and so they point him to the solid rock. They point him to the only foundation that we can build our lives, our families, and our hope is on. And that person is Jesus Christ. They point him to a person, and it's Jesus, not Merle Lynch. They point him to Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. And we see here that it changed everything. For this jailer. He goes and gets his family. The message is shared with them. The gospel is shared with them. And they're all saved. The jailer and all his family. Their lives are changed. How do we know they're changed? Well look at verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night. The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Next step. Believe, be saved, and be baptized. Right? They did it immediately. It says immediately. 
He and all his household were baptized. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So this is odd. This is odd. The first thing that the jailer does is what? He brings these convicts, these prisoners that he's been charged with keeping in jail, he brings them to his house. His job was to keep them in the jail. Now he's bringing them into his house and he's treating them like family, right? He washes their wounds. He gives them something to eat. He gives them a clean place to sleep in his own home. And don't miss this. The jailer and his family were baptized immediately. This is the middle of the night, folks. They took serious the message, be saved and be baptized, right? That's speaking to someone's heart that hadn't been today. They are so excited about this newfound freedom that they have in Jesus and this security that they cannot wait to identify themselves with the movement through baptism. They couldn't wait. And it's a joy that only can, can come from, you know, from when we find our freedom and we find our security in Jesus and him alone. All right? there, there's no doubt that this will be a night that the jailer won't ever forget. Don't you imagine? This will be a night that the jailer's family will never forget. This is, this is an awesome story. Isn't this an awesome story? Great way to wrap it up. We've read all summer awesome stories. The awesome power of God. The awesome things that God can do. The awesome things that God did do. In the, in the early days of the church, when this movement was gaining its momentum and it was getting started, we see story after story after story of, of things that God was doing that just makes you stand back and go, wow, isn't that amazing? He was doing those things in the lives of people 2,000 years ago. That's so cool. But don't miss this. Our God has not changed. Folks, the movement has not changed. We've made it comfortable. We've made it easy. The movement ha has not changed 2,000 years later. Can I just tell you that God is still in the business of giving people freedom. He's still in the, in the business of, of giving people security that can only come through him. And listen, we encounter people every single day. When we walk out of these doors, we encounter people everywhere that we go. I don't care where you go this afternoon or tomorrow. You're going to encounter people that think that nothing can shake them and that nothing can break them. And they're sadly mistaken. They're sadly mistaken. They, they've got their family. Everything's good. They've got lots of stuff. Everything's good. They've got a great job. Everything's good. They've got a healthy retirement. Everything is good. They've got good health, and they feel secure, and they feel confident in what they've built and what they've established. But they're really not secure at all. They're really not secure at all. And there will very likely come a time when their world is shaken. And they will realize that none of that, none of that mattered. None of that gave them the security that they need. And I'm just going to say that there may be someone like that here today that's living their lives in that arena. 
living their lives in that way. And if so, well, this story, let me, let me tell you, this story today to you is just a great reminder that all of us need a firm foundation to build our lives on, to build our families on. We need that. In a world that's falling down and crumbling down around us, what we need, what our families need, what our community needs, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We don't need better government. We need Jesus. We don't need a better retirement plan. We need Jesus. We don't need better health care. We need Jesus. And if you don't have that, don't wait until the walls come crashing down because sometimes when it begins to crumble, it'll be too late at that point. And so that's the warning in this story today, right? You can have this freedom and this security today. Just like the jailer had it in the middle of the night. You can have it on the day that we dedicated the Children's Center to God. You can have that today. And, and, and I, I know that there are many here that understand exactly what I'm talking about. They, they're part of the movement. They're bought in. They're all about it. They know what the movement is, and, and, and they're faithful to the movement. Can I just tell you, tomorrow you're going to meet a prisoner. Tomorrow, wherever you go, you're going to encounter a prisoner, someone who is imprisoned to this illusion that they have security in the things of the world. All right? Don't miss the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. We've told you for years, invite them for, to church. I think we see here in this story right here, the appropriate thing to do in that moment is to invite them to Jesus. <laughs> Invite them to, to Jesus and tell them uh, about Jesus and don't miss the opportunity so that they can experience a real security and a freedom that only comes through Him. Folks, this is the movement. This is what the movement does. It's what it looks like, how it moves, it's how it moves, it's how it acts. This is the movement. And so as we close out this series this Sunday, I, I'm going to ask you one last time. Will you join us? Will you join us on the movement? Will you be a part of what God is doing and what God wants to do in this world? Because it's only in that that you're going to have any security whatsoever in your life and in your family. I also want to ask you, if you're here today and you're already a part of the movement, I want to challenge you and ask you to invite those people that you come in contact with that you know aren't a part of the movement, that you would invite them to join you on the movement. I think the challenge is there. I don't think it's just a challenge. I believe it's a command that we were called to go make disciples. And so not only is it important that we're a part of the movement, but it's important that we're sharing the message of the movement and allowing the Spirit to guide us as we journey on this movement together. Let's pray. God, this, this, powerful, this is a powerful message from your word today. And uh, I don't know what you're doing with it. But I know you're working. I know that you have spoke to hearts this morning. Um, I'm sure some of, some of that has been... Hey, you're not part of the movement. You need to get it together and surrender your life to Jesus 
and allow him to be your security and your foundation. Some, some people are being brought to that decision today, but I, I just believe as the church today, as the movement here in this community, there, there's a tremendous challenge out there for every single one of us that, hey, when we walk out of here, we're going to encounter people that are imprisoned to a false hope and a false sense of security. And what does it look like for us as the church? What does it look like for, uh, uh, for us as the body of Christ, as this movement? Well, what does that look like for us to go into a world filled with prisoners and hand them the keys to their freedom? God, sometimes we don't have the right answers. Most of the time, I never have the right answers. But God, your spirit can lead and guide. Your spirit can go before us. Your, your spirit can can give us exactly what we need at just the right moment. And so that's what I pray for. I pray that we would surrender our will to yours. We would surrender our lives to your spirit because it's only through your spirit at work in us that we can do anything and accomplish anything for your kingdom. And so today, whatever it is that you're speaking to all of us, it may be a different message for every person in this room. I don't know. But God, I do know this. I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers. I pray that we'd be faithful with what you're putting in our lives, what you're putting in our hearts today. You'd find us obedient to that. And if there be anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be a, a, a day, be the day, that they would surrender their lives to you and begin this journey that has been known as the movement. We love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you for equipping us to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for forgiving us when we failed. We'll always praise you. We'll always thank you. And we'll always love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.